I'll tell you, if you can start music lessons as young as possible, you are a very blessed and fortunate person because the younger you can start, the better you're going to be in the long run. Hi, I'm Ben Capolo, and welcome to All Keyed Up, Creative Conversations for Today's Piano Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I will be speaking with Doreen Hall. Doreen has been teaching, performing, and writing music for over 30 years. She's the founder of Paloma Piano, an online platform full of high-quality resources for piano teachers, ranging from original songs to method books to games to theory worksheets. She's the author of The Happiest Piano Teacher in Town and... The Ultimate Preschool Piano Activities Book, Complete Guide to Hands-On Preschool Piano Teaching. Today, I will be focusing on the latter of these books. Doreen, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks, Ben, for having me on. This is really fun. Well, I have to say, I always take notes whenever I read books that are about my field, but when I read your preschool piano activities book, I took so many notes, I almost worry I essentially rewrote the whole book. Uh, there are so many helpful activities that are great for preschool age children. Before we go into the specifics of the book, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you ins- what inspired you to write a book about activities for preschool piano students. Okay, so when I got out of college in 1984 with a degree in music theory and composition and decided to become a piano teacher, I had no idea what I was doing. So I went on a quest to learn more about how to teach people. And one of the first things I came across was the Suzuki method. So I trained all the way through um, with Suzuki and learned a lot of their um, methods and ways of presenting material, which was really helpful. Um, I didn't like it so much for piano because I felt like once my students went for a year of no music reading, it was kind of hard to get them into it. So I still use a lot of the ideas, but I kind of changed. And then somewhere along the way, just because I'm being a musician, you don't always make enough money, you know, to, to go, you, you kind of take what jobs you can get. I landed in a Montessori classroom as a preschool Montessori teacher. And the, the head teacher that ran that class was just this amazing woman, Miss Ruth, and she would just look at everything and come up with it as an activity to teach kids. She would see, you know, some old bottle caps and she would make a matching lesson out of it. Or she would see, um, you know, some different colored pencils and and make a a measuring lesson out of it. So everything in the environment, seashells and rocks and everything to her was somehow a lesson. So I started looking at everything like that. And Mm -hmm. I decided to you know, explore teaching preschoolers piano, kind of combining the Suzuki stuff that I had learned with the Montessori stuff. And I found that hands-on activities was really the most fun way to go. Um, now we're in the middle of COVID. So now we're trying to do right. hands-on activities while we're online, which is <laughs> a little bit more challenging. So that's kind of how I got into it little by little and, and just started, you know, collecting things and brain dumping ideas and, and then decided to write my, that was my second book. That's, I decided to write a book about that. Yeah, I definitely see a lot of those influences in your book of using common household objects or at least objects that are easily purchasable for maybe at the dollar store and then turning them into fun music activities. And I definitely like to talk about that um, a little bit in today's interview. But first, I just want to talk big picture about 
preschoolers. Of course, they're not infants, but they're also not elementary schoolers. In your book, you discuss that there's individual variability among preschoolers, and you give these very helpful tests to assess readiness for lessons. But I'm wondering if you could give us a basic sense of where preschoolers are cognitively at, which musical skills are reasonable to expect from preschoolers, and which skills are probably more realistic when they get a little bit older and become elementary schoolers? I'll tell you, if you can start music lessons as young as possible, you are a very blessed and fortunate person because the younger you can start, the better you're going to be in the long run. So unless it's, you know, a, a child is really not, you know, emotionally ready or something to come into lessons, I feel like as soon as they're at, pretty much out of diapers, and even that's like debatable, they, they can get up on the keyboard and start learning and they can start listening. They can start absorbing the language because music is a language. So about the time they learn to talk and walk is about when they can learn. And I have some amazing preschoolers now. I have one student, Oliver. I started him at three and a half. He has perfect pitch. I have I have wow. kids now that are you know six and seven years old who can play Bach preludes, and and they just they just accept it. Um, parent um, involvement is kind of a key with that age group because you can't just expect a four year old to go practice on their own. So when parents are able to help out and come to the lesson, that that's a big Suzuki thing too. Parents are the first teachers uh, mm -hmm. and kind of help out. Um, yeah, and you get great. into that a lot in your book about the important the role of parents in lessons. Yeah, for preschoolers, it, it really is important because they, they don't have the, you know, the ability to do it on their own. But if they can have someone to just help them five, 10 minutes a day, and a lot of it's just listening and improvising and just becoming so familiar and comfortable at the keyboard that it's just second nature to them. Great. Yeah. So I want to talk about this idea you bring up about the younger, the better. Um, I mean, that's certainly my attitude. Um, but there are definitely some piano teachers out there who are reluctant to teach preschool. In some cases, the attitude is, you know, I support piano lessons for preschoolers in theory, but I don't know if I want to be the one doing that. But then there are some who are a little bit more skeptical and are not sure if they see the benefit that preschoolers receive from uh, getting piano lessons. Um, in your book, you give a lot of examples of the benefits of preschool music instruction. Can you talk about what some of these advantages are to starting music really young as opposed to when you're a little bit older? Well, I think just cognitively, you pick it up faster. And I think as far as developing your ear, the younger you are, the more you know, you're going to learn things like perfect mm -hmm. pitch and, and relative pitch and mm -hmm. things like that. And you just get more comfortable, you know, your body kind of grows into the piano and you're more relaxed at a younger age. You're not s stiff, you're not self-conscious. Um, stage fright wise, you know, preschoolers don't get stage fright. They don't care. Mm -hmm. So they, they grow up just doing this all the time. I started really late. So maybe that kind of- Oh, really? When did you start? I didn't start playing the piano until I was 12. Oh, that is late. Yeah, because people would say, oh, everybody quits piano lessons. It's just a waste of money. But I kept bugging my mother because we had a piano until finally she just said, all right. I did violin first in school, just like in, in the school program. And I never liked it that much. But I always wanted to play the piano. So I started late, and I always wished I would have started earlier. And I don't know. I just started teaching preschoolers, and, and I've, I've pre my longest student I ever had, I had for 14 years from the time she was four. So the time she was 18. That's amazing. I know she still plays. She's at John Hopkins studying medicine right now. Oh, that's where I yeah. went to grad school. <laughs> oh, okay. So yeah, so she, you know, she still plays and I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, it's an advantage. Of course, I'm really big into like piano teaching is not a one size fits all. Mm -hmm. There's so many um, niches and, and different um, areas that you can teach. You know, some people are jazz teachers. A lot of people 
will pick up a book of jazz arrangements and consider themselves a jazz teacher. Well, they're not really a jazz teacher because <laughs> they don't really play jazz. Not everybody wants to teach preschoolers. Not everybody wants to teach, mm -hmm. you know, to all the, um, the competitions and evaluations and, and to that high level of classical playing. So it's kind of finding your niche of where yeah. you fit in. And um, I talk a lot about that a lot in my other book, The Happiest Piano Teacher in Town, you know, trying to find where you're most successful at. So I like to take very young students and, and keep them as long as I can through high school. There's people who play better than I do. So once they get to, you know, the point where they're playing, you know, Beethoven sonatas and really more difficult music, or if they want to study jazz, I play a little bit. I'm not an expert in that. I'll send them off to somebody else at that point. So to me, part of being a successful teacher is knowing when it's time to, you know, change change lanes so yeah speak. absolutely um and i think as you say it's very important to cater the schedule to the individual um that being said i would like to talk about in general what a lesson with a preschooler might look like in your book you outline a sample schedule and of course different teachers format their lessons differently as you say you teach to, in a way that you play with your strengths but i'm wondering if you could talk about structuring preschool lessons and how the structure of a lesson with a preschooler might differ from a structure of a lesson with an older elementary school student. Okay, no problem. And I'll also kind of address um, this being online because I kind of see online as the wave of the future. Even once COVID's over, a lot of my parents are loving online lessons. So it's a mm. little bit different. So with yeah. my preschool students for the very first lesson, I always do like a, a meet and greet lesson. So an informal, I don't charge for it. I just kind of want to see where everybody's at. And I have the parent attend the lesson, either mom or dad um, can attend the lesson. I, I require them to attend the lesson all the time. So my preschooler will come in and I'll just kind of take, you know, they're hanging on mom's arm. I don't, you know, force them to do anything. Maybe I'll play something for them. But I have lots of colorful activities, the popsicle sticks. If you see in the book, you know, we cut the popsicle sticks to the size of the two and three black keys. And I usually have mm -hmm. some some colorful stuffies and some little animals they can place on the keys and some little numbered rings they can Put on their fingers so i'll have stuff set out and let them just explore what they want to do and we always i always usually start out with you know fingers finger numbers um sitting position and then you know get up off the bench and do the two and three black keys and then we'll do some improvisation and and usually that winds up the first lesson i'm really big on listening so even um, with my older students, we usually listen to something at every lesson. So I'll pull up a video of Long Long playing, or George Shearing, or usually some kind of piano related video that they may not have seen. Um, so we do some listening and just kind of take their cue. So I'm trying to teach them to begin with just things like, you know, your finger numbers, how your hands move to keep your hand relaxed. I have this little squishy ball thing that we use. We pick it up, we put it down. And, and you know things like that off the bench don't make them sit down too much i really like to use an adjustable bench and foot bench if possible although sometimes the foot bench makes them feel like they can't get on and off the bench so we don't use it but i like to have an adjustable bench and then just little by little i'll teach them how to play some songs teach them cde improvise on the black keys things like that step by step and i just kind of wait to take cues about the time they start learning to read books is about the time I, I introduced music notation. Yeah, I did want to ask you about music notation, specifically now that you mentioned earlier in this interview that you had a Suzuki training. Um, in your book, you write that your goal for preschool students isn't necessarily to read music, but I have a quote here. 
quote, know and understand what music notation is and, quote, to have an environment that is filled with examples of music notation. So could you elaborate a little bit more on what the role is of music notation in a lesson with a preschool student as opposed to perhaps an elementary school student? Okay, so as in addition to being a, a piano teacher, I'm also a certified pre-K through grade three um, public school teacher. So one of the things they talk about in the in the pre in the in the classroom classroom is having a print rich environment. So when you set up your classroom, you'll have, you'll always see posters and things with words all over mm -hmm. it. So you want to expose the children to to print mm -hmm. words. So I feel like it's the same thing with music notation. We want to have plenty of music notation around, so it doesn't look weird to them when they first see it. It's beautiful to look at. It's pretty. Um, it just it just becomes part of their environment. So that when they first start learning how to read music, it's not intimidating like what is this weird stuff you know they're used to seeing it used to looking at it i leave my music out i have things with music on it i show them music if we listen to a piece i'll pull up the score so they can see what the score looks like and kind of point out that you know music isn't like counting notes it's kind of a a picture if it goes if it looks like it goes up it goes up it goes down on piano we're lucky like that because it's so mapped out for us you know, we don't we don't think about note names when we play the piano or when we read music at all. We're just mm -hmm. learning to follow those patterns. So kind of introducing them to that idea as we go along. And, you know, most kids are really bright. And I, I really I found that I had to change my attitude about learning to read music notation. Um, you know, I have I have a student right now who has a tremendous ear and he's just so enthusiastic and he's young and he can play like piano man and he can play almost anything that he hears he can play let it be by the beatles and he's like six mm -hmm. years old but he, he doesn't he doesn't want to read music yet mm -hmm. and i know once you know i convince him that you know let's read the music it's not going to be that hard for him to get it so i try to keep the the interest and the enthusiasm going and and as much as possible as we go along mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had a lot of teenage students come into my studio who are the situation you described where they can play songs by ear very well and do these pop songs and it sounds amazing, but then are very reluctant to reading music. I actually have not had that happen with a, someone as young as six. That's interesting that that phenomenon occurs. He started when he was three and a half. So he at piano at three uh, and a half. So by the time, time he's six, six and a half, he's already been playing for three years. So, you know, you just kind of see what's, you know, the strength of this particular student impressive. is that he has a great ear and he's really, you know, right. and I guess his mom and dad listen to a lot of this music around the house and he just sits around mm -hmm. and plunks it out. And, you know, if I show him the chords and the next thing you know, he starts playing. And, and when you say your approach a few a seconds ago, you said your approach towards music notation has changed over the years. Are you suggesting that in cases like the student you're describing that you play more to his strengths of learning by ear as opposed to dogmatically focusing on nothing but music notation well, you know, and reading? I used to worry about it <laughs> because yeah. I was not a good reader. I became a good reader because I made up my mind to become a good sight reader. Mm -hmm. Later in, in my life, you know, as an older teenager, I was a terrible sight reader. And, and I mm -hmm. would sit and sight read for a couple hours a day for a couple of years and I got pretty good at it, but I had a, you know, I had to work at it. So I always used yeah. to worry, like, I want to make sure my students can read the notes. And obviously mm -hmm. as a teacher, if you have an eight, nine year old and they can open up their book and read it, it's like, thank you. It's so much easier than trying to get them to explain. Yeah. But, you know, times are changing a lot. And I was recently reading an article about how a lot of parents are putting their kids into piano lessons, not because they want them to become a pianist, but because they see the the advantage for them overall with their academics yeah. as having music. So not everybody's interested Absolutely. in learning how to play a, a Chopin ballade. Mm -hmm. Not everybody wants to get to that level. A lot of people 
are taking it up more for enjoyment now, stress relief. So it's kind of just knowing your client, which kind of clients you want to have, what kind of students you want, and and then and then working with them. So I mean, some teachers strictly want to teach, you know, high level classical students and i respect that that's that's wonderful if that's your lane that's uh, that's awesome i i'm kind of in a, in a different lane i like that lane but i also want everybody to when they're 50 years old be able to sit down and, and play something and enjoy the piano so that's that's kind of what i'm going for with most of my students so i i try to play to their strengths and i i i was last week i was showing them george shearing lullaby of birdland and they're watching it you know and i'm, I'm showing him over over the internet and i'm like you know George Sheeran can't read music. And they go, what? And I'm like, how? They're like, yeah. how do you know? I'm like, well, because he's blind. He can't read music. I'm like, you don't, you don't have to be able to read to know how to speak. You don't have to know how to read music to be able to know how to play. I said, but it's a huge shortcut for you. Obviously, if you, wouldn't you, aren't you glad you can read words? And they're like, yeah, well, if you can read music, think of all the music you're going to be able to play. You know, so I, some of them take a little convincing because it's hard. You know, it's not, the, I don't like to use yeah. the word hard. It's challenging. To learn it is. Music. I mean, that's definitely been one thing that I've changed in my own teaching as I've been teaching more throughout the years. I think when I first started, I was very dogmatic about reading music and I, I was so uninterested in basically anything else until they could learn to read music well. And I think now I've tried to adapt in some of the manner of your describing as if they come in with a great ear, you can play to your strengths and not ignore reading music, but still meet them where they're at and try to cater to the individual and recognize, as you say, that different students have uh, different goals. Um, I'd also like to talk a little bit about games. I think it's safe to say, based on your book, that like me, you're a very big fan of games. It seems nowadays the route that many teachers go down for games, uh, really no matter what age they're working with, is electronic games, so apps, websites. In your book, you concentrate more on physical games, um, and in many cases, games that require a bit of arts and crafts work to set up. You outline your thinking behind this in your book. Can you talk about why you generally prefer physical games as opposed to electronic games? Well, I don't think it's any secret that kids today get enough screen time. <laughs> That's right. for sure. Yeah. So, And I do think there is something to, to having that um, kinesthetic involvement with stuff as well to be able to touch things and and manipulate things in the environment is good and you know the interpersonal part of it so there's plenty of apps uh some apps i i you know i do note rush a little bit but you know isolated okay. notes eh, you know it's like it's not the same thing yeah it plays to a very specific type of teaching as far yeah. as how to read music and the kids it like work. it yeah and that's yeah. not how we read i mean we really don't read right. one note at a time it's all about seeing right. those patterns so yeah it doesn't work if you teach reading music in a way that emphasizes intervals yeah. over note identification the other app i've used and i can't use it online because it doesn't work over the internet is um, rhythm swing where they have to tap the rhythms and that's a pretty good one because they actually have to read the rhythm and tap it mm -hmm. but um especially with the younger kids i i do like the hands-on activities they they think it's fun it's cute they can mm -hmm. they can touch it they can do things with it so i've had a lot of success with that also even with older kids you know a 30 minutes of concentrated you know 30 to 60 minutes depending on um well you know the older kids take more time but that's a lot and you can sometimes you know, i'm sure you can read your students when they're starting to get a little overwhelmed you know when they're just like you know getting frustrated or overwhelmed so then that's usually the time i'll, I'll take a break and do a game or something different or like improvisation something something to just get it give them a mental you know, relax. And myself too. Sometimes I start getting overwhelmed, you know, especially right. online because it's much more intense trying to teach people online. I don't know how you feel about it, but. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, yes, I strongly agree. Yeah. And I think there are many teachers who always use electronic games just because it's easy in the sense of you have the app right there. But in your book, you make it 
relatively easy to discuss how we you can create physical games yourself using items even from the dollar store or items in the house, as you said, bottle caps. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk about some of the staple items you recommend purchasing, which can be used to create different great games for preschoolers. Okay. So um, at the craft store, I love those big cubes. So they, they're like mm -hmm. dominoes or whatever, and you can write like music alphabet letters on them or fingering numbers or mm -hmm. um, key signatures, different things for older kids. Cause older kids can do games too. And then you can do games like, you know, roll the dice and match a finger number to a note, or you can say, roll the dice and play this passage this many times. Like, you know, even, even 12 year olds can roll the dice and let's say you play mm -hmm. this passage of your sonatina, it comes up four. So you have to play it four times. It's just fun. It's interesting. It's motivating. So I use that. I like those popsicle sticks. I do tons of stuff with popsicle sticks as far as you know putting like c d e f g a b c on it and then you have to put a popsicle stick on every c and i glue them together three at a time so they're easier to pick up and they can't slip right. under the keys because i've had a few of those happen um and then i'll cut the ones to the groups of two and three so popsicle sticks cubes i love those little glass beads that like you put in the aquarium yes you talk about those a I lot i put numbers them. on them and they're colorful and you can use them for all sorts of things you can you can use them to to like slide along the the music score and, and find all the all the g's you know because you can mm -hmm. see through them i mean there's like an unlimited amount of stuff you could do you could do with those those beads and then i get those little tiny animals like a through g sometimes they're a little hard to find you can find some on amazon or at the craft store the dollar store i found a bunch at some store out in seattle i don't know if you want to go all the way out there but <laughs> so, you know just like you know uh, um like a, I'll make the yes. whole trip just for that purpose. Who knows if it's still open? It's pretty crazy out there. So like, a, you know, like a bear or um, an anhinga, you know, so you have different animals and then they have to match mm -hmm. an animal to the key. And then, you know, also they can use the bead to find the sharp or the flat. I, um, I like button rings that we can do for fingers one through five. So they can put a ring on every finger and then they can practice, you know, touching their fingers and, and learning what the different fingers are. Um, I like... Uh, those squishy um, porcupine balls, we use those to just work with your hand position and just keep your hand relaxed. Mm -hmm. They have a trouble with the thumb because it's short and fat. Always. And, yeah. you know, they want to have it out here and they, they they don't get this idea of this. So we work a little bit with that. But what I, I was teaching at an art center in Cleveland. And so I would just keep all this stuff in a big bag. You know, I had a big bag of, of activities or in my home studio, yeah. I just keep them around. And so they can pull it out. Yeah, and and I read on a blog post on your website that you actually have a sort of miniaturized version of this bag that you've mailed to some of your students who are now taking online lessons. So you can still use these physical games even with online lessons, right. which I found to be very impressive. So I have mine and they have theirs. And I highly recommend mailing stuff to people, snail mailing stuff to people now that we're online because it just it's a wonderful feeling to get a package in the mail. So, you know, now that I'm in Florida, I owe a couple of people some, some uh, things. When I get back to Cleveland, I'll mail it to them, but it is really fun for them to, you know, and I'll mail it like, cause if I print out books with so many pages or whatever, but it, it's, it's fun for them to get, to get a package and then parents don't have to, you know, bother doing it. Cause it's really not hard to make the activities and we, we use them ongoing for, for years. You know, sometimes even my teenage students will do some of these things. Just, oh, really? Yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, oh. like I said, we'll roll the dice to see how many times they're going to play something or, or what metronome marking they're going to practice a certain mm -hmm. passage or how many times they're going to play, play a scale or something. Just, 
Oh, I have not considered using that for my teenage students. Yeah, just uh, anything that, that kind of breaks it up and makes it right. more exciting because it's it's hard. I mean, it's a challenging journey. It's a, it's the longest term project that you'll probably ever take up, as you know, and I know because we did it. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like so many things you get into it and, you know, you take up ice skating, you put on your skates and next thing you know, you're skating around. It takes so it takes a long right. time before you feel like you're and a lot of that's like kind of building that musicianship attitude along the way. So. It's it's a big process. Great. Um, now, although today's interview was really focused on the preschool book, of course, I want to at least quickly touch base on Paloma Piano. Um, you definitely have many resources for preschool teaching on your site, but you go above and beyond that. It's a huge variety of resources. Can you talk a little bit about Paloma Piano, what you offer on the site, and also the different membership options? Okay. Um, let's see. I was teaching at a charter school in West Palm Beach, and I wasn't not sure I was going to continue with that. So I decided I would start an online business and I, I like to write music. So I started writing music for my students and I decided to set up a website and publish it. My husband is a, a computer science person. So he helped me do that. And oh, we have, nice. uh, let's see, a preschool through later intermediate resources. We also have some, you know, music for teachers, different stuff that I put up there, different styles, different genres. So any, pretty much anything that I see a need for with my students, I'll publish it. So I have a, a, a resource called first four before, and it's like the first, um, four weeks before a student gets a piano, what to do. So it's like worksheets for every day. And then there's like a, a piano buying, uh, booklet for parents convincing them of why they need to buy a piano, at least a decent digital keyboard with weighted keys and its own stand and how to shop for a piano. And it kind of gives them the time limit of four weeks because I was running into a lot of people coming in saying, we don't have a piano yet. Can we start? So this way I don't have to lose that business. I can start them, but we have a, we have a four week period where you're going to do these things. And at the end of four weeks, you need to have, have a piano in your house for your student to practice on. So I, I did that. And then um, a lot of online resources now because I'm finding that mm -hmm. online, we kind of got to step it down a little bit, a little bit, mm -hmm. make things a little bit easier for some of the students, you know, maybe some more um, John Thompson style things with some fingering numbers to help the kids, mm -hmm. the, the beginners. So I've done some stuff like that. And then I just do some blog posting. I also have a blog called pianoparents.net. You can send your piano, your parents there to read about the process of you know, why you have to practice and all that kind of stuff and, you know, how to keep the kids going because parent support's big, you know, parents who really want their kids to play piano, usually the kids will play if their parents are really, you know, motivated. I had a parent last year, I asked her, I said, oh, are your, are your daughters going to be in the recital? And they, she said, oh, they don't have a choice. Of course they're going to be in the recital. And I was like, I, I love that attitude. <laughs> so of course those students are doing pretty well because mom's like, You're, she's on top of it. She makes sure they have everything. So getting parents on board is a big deal. So that's why I started Paloma Piano, just a, also as just a creative outlet for my own composition and my own music. And I can attest to it personally. I use it all the time. I really particularly like the improvisation prompts. Uh, those are my students really love using those. Finally, can you give everyone a sense of basically what you're up to now and how people can learn more about you? Oh, well, right now I'm down in Florida visiting with my dad and all my teaching has gone online. So um, you can definitely sign up uh, for your free membership. There's a gold membership at Paloma Piano. It's free and I usually give out uh, freebies just about every week as long as I have time. You know, there's usually a weekly freebie. And then there's like a platinum basic membership, which is just solos and 
games and then there's a gold mem uh, platinum membership the the full platinum memberships is like 127 dollars a year or 14 dollars a month and that gives you unlimited access to reprinting everything on the website and if you want to um, resell this materials to your students either charge them for per piece or per book or charge them a materials fee we allow you to do that so that you can make some extra money for yourself as well um, on the piano because i feel like you know if everybody's benefiting the students, the teachers, and everybody. It's, it's a good thing. So those are the memberships. Um, I just plan to keep on publishing music. I, I always have a plan to start on uh, writing music for some other instruments, but there's only so many hours in the day. And uh, keeping up with my own playing, hoping to get back, back in it to win it as soon as we get, can all get this vaccine and, and get life back to normal, which will be great. We can only hope. Uh, well, Doreen, it was so great speaking to you. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you so much, Ben. Good luck with everything. And thanks to all of you for tuning in to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time. <laughs>